0: Uh, We are wrapping up a series today. We've been in this for the last three weeks. The series is called Campfires, and the heart of this series really has been that as we go through our life, there are a lot of different kinds of seasons. There are seasons where things are fast and moving. There are seasons where it seems like things are really slowing down. They're all beautiful in their time, and there's lessons to be learned in all of them. And when we go through a place, if we just move through quickly, we have a tendency to pass right on through and miss a lot of the surroundings and things that are there to possibly learn from. It's not that that's entirely bad. Some seasons we do just move through something or a place very quickly, but there's times where we kind of camp out a little bit. Maybe it's not by our own choosing. Maybe the Lord's design. We're going to stay here a while. While we're there, if we're going to stay in a place instead of move right on through, we do things a little differently, do we not? make a fire, look around, where am I going to get water, where am I going to get firewood, how am I going to you know, be here a while? So we learn things, we observe things, we're aware of things on a different level. And So we're looking through the Bible and we're taking different places and different scenes. How many know that a place and a location has significance and meaning? right? Names of places and especially events that happen in those places carry a lot of significance. So we're looking through the Bible, looking at places, things that happened, and extracting lessons of what God was doing, things that were learned because there was a delay or there was a staying period. What are those lessons to speaking to us today? Because the Bible is timeless, right? And what are those things saying to us today? What can we draw from? So week one, we talked about Bethel. Week two, we talked about the island of Malta. Actually, my wife, Katie, preached about that last week. Interesting little background on this. Whenever we Went into the series, felt like this was Lord's direction, said, hey, we're going to do this, and like you to you know, preach one of these, and uh, here's some of the messages. I'm, I want to do Bethel, I want to do the island of Malta, I want to do Cave of Adullam, and uh, she's like, ooh, I want to do Malta, and I was like, oh, well, I kind of want to do Malta. Can you think of a different one? She's like, no, I really want to do Malta, and so we got into this fight about who is going to do Malta. So the things that pastors argue about is funny, right? Like, oh, I'm going to do, oh, do Malta. Anyway, she won like most fights <laughs> end up happening. Uh, and I heard she did a great job last week, did she? Uh-huh. Awesome. So today, we're actually going to talk about the cave of Adulam. Everybody say Adullam. It's just a fun word to say, isn't it? Adullam. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about the cave of Adullam, and this is a story... Really, that features David as the main character, the, the starting actor, if you will, in this particular scene. A lot of us know the story of David and Goliath. I don't know that that's foreign to anybody. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know about the cave of Adullam. Question, how many of you heard the term David's mighty men? few of you have heard that. Well, this is the scene where this actually begins. This is actually the, the place in the Bible chronologically where the formation of David's mighty men, his army, actually starts out. And I really believe there are some lessons here that we can learn from David, his journey into the cave of Adullam, that uh, will encourage us, lift us up, help us really set our eyes on the things we need to be set on in this world right now that we're in and what God's calling us to do. So let's open up to 1 Samuel chapter 22. We'll read a few verses and we'll dig in. Says David, therefore, departed and escaped to the cave of Adullam. <laughs> so when his brother, he's like, he's having a lot of fun with that. So when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress, who was in debt, who was discontented, they gathered to him, and so he became captain over them. There were about four hundred men with him. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask you right now, in Jesus' name, to speak to us, God. We are here as if before a banquet table, ready to feast upon the bread of life. Would you give us this day, God, our daily bread that would nourish us, that would sustain us? We are hungry for that, Lord. And the fact is, there is nowhere else that we can obtain this except by directly from you. And so we're asking you and giving you permission to speak, to have your way in this place. And I ask, Lord, humbly that you would anoint me and use me and speak through me. There is nothing in me apart from you to offer anything of eternal value to people today. And so I'm asking you, Lord, I'm desperate for you. Would you use me? Would you work through me? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well... David ends up here at the cave of Adullam. He ends up here because he is running from danger. He is fleeing from the threat on his life that King Saul is presenting to him. And when we look at this story, I think it's necessary to get a little bit of background because it's almost like, wait a minute, how did we end up here? Because it wasn't very long ago that this guy, David, took down nearly a 10-foot-tall giant named Goliath with a sling and a stone and took off his head with his own sword. I mean, David's like the reigning UFC champion of the day, okay? Super soldier, takes him down. Goes on to have incredible favor over his life throughout all of the country. We know that Saul ends up having David go into battle with his armies. And while David is fighting, not only is he a great soldier individually, he ends up becoming a captain, like a leader, a general in the armies of Israel because of his integrity and because of his leadership. The Bible says David behaved more wisely than all other men in the army and that the Spirit of God was with him. Major favor all over his life. That's not where it stops. David comes back from battles, and he's coming into Jerusalem, and there's victory campaigns and celebrations that are going on. And all the good-looking ladies of the day are out in the streets checking David out, yelling, Saul has killed his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. He's a ladies' man. He's the number one Uh, contestant on the hit show of the day, Bachelor. He's the number one Bachelor in all of Israel. He's got favor everywhere. He's a, a, a talented musician. Saul has him come in, and he's gifted with the harp, and he plays music in the king's courts. So if we're looking at it today, he's the worship leader of Hillsong on a worldwide stage. He's got it all going on. He has all this favor. He marries the the king's daughter, Michal, becomes the king's son-in-law. He becomes best friends with the king's son, Jonathan, and Jonathan looks out for David and protects him and wants to make sure his best interest is always taken care of. There's all this favor over David's life, but something changes along the way. The thing that changes, interestingly, is not actually of David's doing. There are things that he does down the road in his life that get him into trouble. In this particular part of the story, really what shifts is that King Saul becomes jealous of David's fame and success. King Saul becomes treacherous and deceptive, and he's eaten up with jealousy. So much so that he attempts to kill David, wants to take his life, tries to kill him on more than one occasion. David reaches this point, were out of fear for his life, the threat that if he wants to live, he has to run. He has to flee and get away from King Saul. So I want to ask you a question. I'm just curious. I think probably we could all relate to this. How many people have been in places in your life where it seemed like things were going really, really good? There was a lot of favor, a lot of things happening, and then circumstances started to shift. Maybe it was of your own doing. Maybe it was not. But then it was like you went from a high to a low. It was like there's just all these ups and downs. Can I just suggest to you that that's life? Life is filled with peaks and valleys. It's going to happen to us all. The life of influence is filled with these things. And so David experiences this major shift. Everything was going great. He had all these things working for him. And now he is a man on the run for his life. So he goes through a number of places as he is trying to get away. He actually goes through, first of all, a place called Nod. These are several stops before he gets to Adullam. Nod, he goes into the temple, and in the temple, the priest is there, and David is hungry. He needs food. And so the priest says, there's no food. All there is is the show bread from the ceremonial pr- procedures that the priests are supposed to do. It's holy bread. David says, It's okay, no big deal. I'm on king's business. I'm here because the king sent me. And he takes the food because he's hungry. This is what begins to happen. Up until this point, we see David presumably operating in character and integrity in his decisions and in his ways. Major favor from the Lord is on his life. Now he begins to compromise. He tells a lie. He lies because he's running from the king, and he tells the priest that he's actually there on business of the king so that he can get the food because he needs food. He's hungry. Think about the things that he gets and that he needs along the way. The next thing that he gets is he gets a sword. But it's not just any sword. It's actually the sword of Goliath. It just happens to be in the temple here at Nod. Now, that's not a mistake or an accident. I just want to assure you there's a whole message in that. We're not really going there today. But he gets that sword, and he takes that sword because he needs protection. He needs a weapon. And so then he leaves Nod and he goes to Gath. Now, Gath is where Goliath is from. It's the land of the Philistines. Say it another way, the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel. And David goes there and he tries to align with the enemies of Israel to make allies because he's afraid of King Saul. Do you notice the quality of David's decisions are quickly deteriorating as he's compromising. Why is that so? All of a sudden now, his decisions are being motivated more from a place of fear and a place of uh, threat, and he's trying to figure out a way to create safety and protection for himself. So the the Philistines in Gath are like, isn't this David, the guy that killed Goliath? He's like, whoa, they're going to find me out. This isn't good. So what he does is he starts acting mad. He starts going crazy, foaming at the mouth and pretending to be insane, which is really weird because Pastor Mike was just doing that the other day here in the office. And I, strange, but, uh, and so they're like, this guy's insane. Get him out of here, you know, so it works and he, he, but there's a, there's a degree of dishonesty there, right? He's trying to be something he's not. And he gets out of the situation and then he ends up in the cave of a which is in the city of Adullam, which is south of Jerusalem. He ends up there, and the cave is obviously a, a, in the rock formations of the countryside. And the, this is what's really cool, is the word Adulam means refuge or hiding place. Now, I want you to think about something. Here's kind of the, where we're going, set it up. David is running to try and find something by a lot of earthly means that he will eventually discover he can only find in God. Think about the things he gets along the way. He gets food, bread. He gets a sword, a weapon. He gets tries tries to get protection in a cave that's a hiding place. What does Jesus offer us? The bread of life. He says in his spirit we can put on the full armor and weaponry of God and he offers us protection and covering that will guard us through anything that we go through in our lives. You see, we get to these points in our lives, I think, where maybe we see, you know, God's, we're looking to God for things, favor on our lives, things are going great, and then all of a sudden, an attack or a threat hits us. And it's almost like it takes our eyes off of God, it sort of shifts us and distracts us. And we think out of a spirit of fear, intimidation, and threat, We've got to to find safety somewhere else, somehow, some other means to protect us and give us what we need. You see, I don't know that the attack of the enemy really is so much about trying to hurt us so bad in the attack itself, many times as much as it is about just trying to take our eyes off of where our protection and safety actually exist. So I'm gonna extract a couple points out of this story that I think are great lessons for us to learn. David learns through his experience at the Cave of Adullam. And the first one is a safety lesson. Safety lesson. Currently, it is hunting season right now. And if you're a resident of Waterloo or Monroe County, I'm sure you're probably well aware of that. And I've grown up hunting and fishing. My dad took me ever since I was about six, seven years old and instilled some things in me early on as he taught me and trained me. And now my girls, my kids are all going out with me and hunting and I'm instilling a lot of the same things in them that I learned. One of the lessons I've been teaching them along the way is, girls, the number one one priority is safety. You ever heard that right? Safety first. You know, make sure where you're pointing the weapon, how you're carrying the weapon, who has the weapon. It's, it's always loaded. You need all, you know, No accidents when you're hunting. You'll be, be safe all times. So anyway, we're out last week, and I got four of them in the stand with me. And the morning is starting, and the sun's popping up. It's a beautiful day. And I'm like, girls, isn't this beautiful? God's given us such a beautiful day and uh, no matter what happens, no matter if we see any deer, if we get a good one, you know, the most important thing is that we have fun and we enjoy this. And I thought, wow, that's a really great moment. I just set up, that's going to stick with them for life, you know. And they're like, Dad, I thought the first thing was safety. You ever been in a place where like your kid or your grandkid says something and like they got you and you know they got you, Jen? And you're like, how am I going to kind of work this thing around? Well, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, never mind. Uh. Anyway, safety first. So, David is learning a lesson here that is very, very key to safety. He is looking for refuge. He's looking for protection. Adulam means hiding place, safety, protection. He thinks, ah, finally found it. I'm here. But David actually discovers something different in the cave than he went there to find. And I love this about God, he will do this in our lives. Where we just, we're people, right? And we we find our way into places we probably shouldn't be. But God is really good, his grace is really good. And if we will set our heart on him and really get our eyes back on him, then God will help us to discover and learn things that we need to learn that maybe we didn't actually come there to figure out. You know the scripture that says, he knows what we need better than we know what we need. Can you have hope and faith in that? That no matter where you're at, in a possible mass or mistake, like if your eyes are set on God and your heart is set on him, he can show you what you really need to learn even in that moment. And so David gets to the cave and we're gonna see something that he discovers. But in order to see it, you, we have to go outside of 1 Samuel 22. We actually have to go into the Psalms, because in 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 5, it gives us a little bit about the cave of Adullam, not a ton, and actually, those verses really cover a pretty large span of time. But when we go into the Psalms, we know David wrote many, most of the Psalms, and a lot of the Psalms give us indication of where David was and when he wrote them. So when you cohesively put all of Scripture together, it begins to add depth of revelation to what we understand about events that took place in different locations. Make sense? So let's look at Psalm 57, and I want to read to you the first few verses here. we we'll read together. What does David find in the cave? So it starts out in the psalm. It says, to the chief musician set to not, do not destroy a mictum of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, listen this, I will make my refuge. Remember what he was trying to find in the cave, right? Refuge, the cave would provide that for him. In the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. So, what's starting to happen here is that David is now starting to throw himself desperately at God's mercy. He's been running from an enemy to get away and to find safety, but things are now starting to turn a little bit. He's actually beginning to see God and kind of recalibrate, if you will, a bit on, God, wait a minute, it's in you that I need to find my refuge. You get that? Think of it like this, and this is the behavior that the Christian should embody. It's not that we run from enemies so much as we run to the arms and protection of God. You understand that? Because we're all going to have enemies. We know that. We're all going to have different enemies in different seasons, and it's going to look a lot of different ways. Don't look at the person next to you right now, okay? Not a good time to do that. But the key, folks, is not, like David started this journey running from something, but now it's shifting and it's turning into he's actually running to something. He's running to God in his heart. Do you see that? And that's the behavior that we need to develop. That's the posture that we need to develop in our life as we go through difficult times. I know for Katie and I over the years, we've had different seasons and different times where it really felt like we were under attack, where our reputation or our character was in question, things were happening, right? I mean, have you ever been there before? And so you kind of fight this battle, and then you fight that battle, and then You know, it's really not about that because as soon as that seems to be resolved, another one starts and then another one. And so you realize, like, the whole point of this really is to take me down. It's not to, you know, if I can deal with this, then there's just another thing that comes up. And then it's not long before really you realize this is, like, overwhelming. I can't do all this, which is exactly the point. And there's these moments in our life where we've really learned, let's just stop getting distracted with all this. Let's recalibrate we just need to throw ourselves at God. We need to really come back and throw ourselves at the feet and mercy of God and, re- and realize and recognize, remind ourselves, he's our protector. Sure. Our, our safety, our refuge, our strong tower, our fortress, our covering, our hiding place. It's in him, in him alone. And if I have that, and when I find that, and when I rediscover that, or discover for the first time, then it produces something new and strong in us be able to deal with whatever it is that we might be dealing with. Does that make sense? So uh, let's continue on. David says this in verse 4. He says, My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. So their words are obviously very hurtful and painful and destructive. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. Now listen to this. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. And so what David is doing here is a very, very real human experience he's running from danger he's scared he's kind of lost his focus on God he gets to this cave he, he starts to recalibrate he's now starting to pour throw himself at God's feet for refuge and for protection instead of this physical cave that he thinks he might have found it in and now he's saying to the Lord Lord they're all over the place they're they're attacking their tongue is their words are sh- destructive he says that my soul is bowed down. You say that another way. My soul is distressed, my soul is soul is sullen. I'm heart sick. Ever experienced that emotion or that feeling before? Let me tell you what the best thing to do is. It's exactly what David is doing. It's getting very real and very vulnerable before the face of God. You see, we're people, and we're going to experience things like this. It's of no value for us to stuff it, to hide it. To walk, run from it, or pretend it's not there. The best thing that we can do is to get real before God and to pour it out. A poured out expression of our heart. Anybody ever got to a point where things are so hard, so difficult, you're just like under a lot of pressure, and then you just kind of go off to yourself, you know, in the back of the house or woods or whatever, and you just have like a really good cry. No guy will raise his hand when I ask this question. Yeah, best of guy. All right, good deal. You know, it's just kind of like get it out, you know. It's just something about getting it all out. You kind of, whew, okay, I feel a little bit better now. The kids, you know, sometimes they'll have these moments where they just get so upset or frustrated or trying to do something and they come finally run into us and they're crying and you can't even understand what they're saying. <laughs> you know, and you're like, slow down. What's going on? And then they kind of tell you and you're like, it's no big deal. Okay, we can deal with that. And you help them through it and then they're like, okay. yeah, And everything's better, right? I think that's kind of like what David's doing here. He's, he's he's letting it all out. He's pouring it out before God. He's getting vulnerable, and it's in those moments where God can actually then, it's like, okay, now we can, now we can really deal with this thing. I mean, it's not like we're hiding anything from God anyway, right? <laughs> he sees all things. It's just the key is, please remember this, the key is we have to give expression to the sullen or, Heartsick nature, we're going through so that God can deal with it properly in us. You have to give an expression to that. That's what David does. Well, let me ask you a question. What better place is there to come totally undone than before the very one who can rebuild us and build us back up? That's a safe place, is it not? And David's finding that. He's finding what this safety and refuge is actually all about. You see, it's okay, or let me say it a different way. It's normal for us as humans to experience feelings like this. It's, it's normal to get overwhelmed. It's, it happens. But listen to me very carefully it's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to stay there. David came to this place in a certain condition, but God is doing a work in him to ensure that he's not going to stay in that place while he's there. There's a rediscovery, if you will, that is happening for David, and he's beginning to see God in a fresh way. Listen to what he shifts into in the final verses of the psalm. Verse 7. It's like a shift, like all of a sudden a new direction in what he's saying, writing, actually what he's singing would be more accurate in this one. It says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. You see the shift? Folks, this is as real as it gets right here. I mean, I could script this in my life so many times over. Uh, I'm dealing with something. I'm a mess. I'm, you know, oh, what am I going to do? I don't understand. I'm going to make it. God, help me. Oh, Lord. Oh, yes, that's right. You're with me. You're going to help me through this, God. And then David goes from that rediscovery, and then he shifts into this place where he erupts into a worship set. There he is. There he is. There's the guy that lost himself a little bit along the way. There's the Hillsong worship leader. There's the guy that is erupting in praise now. You know, it's not a fake thing. It's not like some artificially created. This is a true expression, a spontaneous moment of an eruption of praise that's just created because of a new, fresh discovery. Oh, yeah, that's who God is to me. And I wonder to myself, I think I look back, does my life look a lot like that? I hope it does. Because I, I believe there ought to be these moments all along the way in our lives that are intermingled where there are these fresh discoveries of who God is to us and what he's going to do for us. And there are these eruptions of praise that come out of us. They're like these overflow moments that there's just nothing else we can do except give him glory and honor for that. I love it. That's what David does. It's just his discovery. But listen to what he says in another location in the Psalms. This is not in the, in the cave, but this is just give you a little insight to David's mentality He says this in Psalms 27, 13. He says, I would have despaired unless I believed I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. This is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. Because here's what this tells me, Jared. It tells me, he says, oh, that whole heart sick, despair, hopeless nature. I would never come out of that unless... (laughs) I believed, unless I knew, unless I'd seen the goodness of God in the land of the living, You see, I've seen God move in my life. I've seen God do miraculous things for other people. I've seen the God of the universe involved in the affairs of his people again and again and again. And I'm telling you right now, because I've seen that, I have hope, I have joy, I have peace. Had that not been the case, I would be in a place of despair. And I say it like this, if God isn't on the earth doing things in the world right now, then what hope is there? Frankly, there would be none as far as I'm concerned. But well, because God is working and doing things in the life of his people, we have everything to hope for and everything to look forward to and no reason to despair or have a heart sick nature that we stay in over long periods of time. we got to come out of those places when we start to feel ourselves slip into them. It's normal for people to get there. It's not okay or healthy for us to stay. we got to come out of those places and David erupts with praise, it says he, he plays the harp, he awakens the dawn. Yeah, I don't know. I just think of questions sometimes. Like, I don't know if you do, I'm reading, like, where did the harp come from? You know, did he throw it on his back on the way? I'm going to need that somewhere, you know? Is there a harp, make, harp uh, making kit along the trail, you know? I just I'll throw one of those together. I think I've heard this theory, and I like it actually, it's just a theory that it wasn't really a harp, that the stringed instrument were the vocal cords that we all have, an expression of praise, an eruption of praise off a discovery of God's refuge of his safety and protection. And the awesome thing about it is the enemy can attack, he can hit on all different fronts, he can try to come at us from the left or the right, from the front, from the rear, But man, God's safety and protection insulates us from all directions, does it not? And the enemy, if we don't let him, he can't take our praise. He can't take our praise. The ultimate result of a downtrodden, heart-sick nature is, "Ah, I have no praise left. But what did Job say? He said, I'll not curse God. I'll continue to praise him. And so we have the ability to still praise God through any valley and through any season. And when we do, the interesting thing is it produces a fresh strength in us. It's like we give God something and he gives us something back in return. He's just that good. Doesn't have to, but he chooses to. I'm gonna praise you, I'm gonna worship you in spirit and in truth, and I just got strengthened in the process because God's that good. And now I'm ready for something in a fresh and new way, that if I'm honest, I probably wasn't really ready for before. And God's done a whole little work in this whole scene, in this whole story. Last point I want to make in this is, before we move on to point two, is that he doesn't stay there. And we see this in 1 Samuel 22, 5. Let's just read that real quick. The prophet Gad tells David, don't stay in the stronghold He tells him, return to Judah. Now, this is real significant. Now, explain why. You see, Psalms, or 1 Samuel 22, 1 through 5, again, happen over a prolonged period of time, just a few short verses. But here's really the order of events, the way it goes down. David's running from Saul, he's in danger, he's fleeing. He gets to the cave of Adullam. He gets there, he's by himself, he's heartsick and he's distressed. Begins to pour himself out to God, begins to rediscover God's refuge and sanctuary in him and him alone, and erupts in a place of praise and worship. So, Psalm 57 happens like in between verse 1 and verse 2 of 1 Samuel 22. And then God starts to bring men, 400 men in fact, who become the beginning building point of David's mighty men. So then God starts to bring these men in response to David's prayer. You see that? God had all kinds of plans all along for this. He he helps David build and raise up an army to go and accomplish victories for him after this moment in the cave. So he pours himself out, Psalm 57, people come, and then the prophet comes to David, the prophet Gad, and he says something really significant. He says, don't stay in the stronghold. Go back to Judah. Now, this is a little mysterious to me Still, because the word stronghold, it's an interesting word. A lot of words have different meanings or more than one meaning. Hebrew is multifaceted, you know. But it, it can mean a real, like, positive or negative connotation. So it's real opposite in some cases. The positive side is that stronghold can mean a castle or a fortress, something really strong, right? Sometimes it says God can be like our, our stronghold, our fortress. But in other times, stronghold means a trap or a snare, something that keeps us in bondage. So what is the prophet saying to David? I think this is what he's saying. I think. He's telling him, don't stay in the stronghold. Go. Now, he's not saying, don't stay in the protection of God. He couldn't be saying that. What is he saying? Don't stay in the in the false sense of security. You've seen something now. Don't stay here and keep hiding from your problems, shelled and insulated in this fake place of security, because if you stay here too long, it's gonna get a whole lot worse. And then he says this, he says, go to Judah, which is crazy, because Judah is where Saul is. You see it now? He's telling him, okay, David, you, you got it. God's shown this thing to you. You see it now. Now it's time to leave a fake sense of security. Don't hold up in this cave anymore. In fact, let me say it like this. Get up and go face your problems. Go deal with your issues. Because you're not leaving safety. You're not leaving protection. You're not leaving refuge. What I wanted you to see is that I it is going with you wherever you go and you didn't need to come to some cave on the backside of the desert to feel safe because I've been here with you all along and you needed to rediscover that but if you see it now, let's go back and let's face your problems. Now I want to say it to us today, church, whatever it is we're going through, whatever we're dealing with, whatever kind of attacks that are coming against us, you may be at a weak point, you may be down, heart sick, downtrodden in a way, soul distressed, but let's reorient, let's see God as our refuge, as our fortress, our sanctuary, our protection, our covering, and let's go deal with the things we have to deal with and know that that God who provides the protection is going with us into whatever those places are that we have to go. And he's going to help us win those victories. And David doesn't just learn this lesson for himself. He begins to help a lot of other people learn that, which I believe is really one of the major keys to David's success in leadership is that the people who came to David, who he led, they didn't see necessarily just some impressive man. They saw a humble guy who had a true heart for God and was expressed in the way he worshiped and in the way he led. Brings me to my last point today. Number one was a safety lesson. Number two is a leadership lesson. You see, the thing about these guys, these 400 men that the Lord brought to David, is they did not show up to him as trained, skilled warriors. We cannot overlook this. In fact, what what did they show up like? It says three things. It says they were in debt, meaning they were like slaves, okay, servitude. There's a picture there. We're going there, but you probably get it already. They were in debt. It says that they were distressed and they were discontented. I mean, they were a mess, basically. They were a mess. They were broken. They were enslaved. They were depressed, stressed out. Worried, and they were bitter, angry, and probably offended. They were the discontented and disillusioned of that day. And these are the guys that God brings to David. Here's your army, David. You're welcome. I wonder what he's thinking. Oh, gosh. Tall task, Lord. But here's the point. People are desperate for godly leadership. And boy, is that true today. Our world is desperate for godly leaders. Where are the godly leaders of our day? Where will they rise from? Who will rise in business? Who will rise in government? Who will rise in education? Who will rise in communities as men and women with godly leadership and godly leadership? character, that God could say, okay, I can bring you the hurting, I can bring you the lost, I can bring you the broken, I can bring you the ones with so much mess and so much baggage, 10 years of counseling and psychiatry couldn't fix it, but I'm going to bring them to places where godly leadership is. Because I'm going to ask you something, if the godly leadership isn't in our land, what hope do people have? What hope do they have? If they can't be led to the one who can restore them through the godly leaders that the Lord would instill in our generation here and now. David himself was raised up to become a godly leader, but he raised up the discontented, the disenfranchised. What's remarkable is that these men ended up becoming arguably the fiercest fiercest and most valiant warriors that history ever records you see david killed goliath that's impressive but these guys when you read the rest of david's life in second samuel and in chronicles these guys killed a lot more giants than david did many battles some where they one man killed hundreds of men in a single field these dudes were fierce okay but they were raised up under david his leadership his heart for god that they saw and that they were willing to follow and he earned their loyalty their respect and the right to lead them i think that's what we need to remember today in places of leadership is that loyalty is earned it's not bought you can buy labor You cannot buy loyalty. These guys were so loyal to David that several of them on an occasion were willing to risk their own life to sneak into a Philistine camp in the heart of the camp at dark just to get a drink of water for David from the well at Bethlehem. That's what they were willing to do. They put it all on the line. And David earned their loyalty because he was a godly leader who was willing to get in the trenches with them And the things that he went through in his life that helped him to seek God for who he was, he was able to impart to other people. The world right now, I believe so much, is desperate for godly leadership. You see, as David went through this process in the cave, God's plan to build an army around David unfolded. And he built an army around David to strengthen him and to equip him for the future victories that would be won to sustain the throne that God had planned for him. Wow. I wonder who God might be interested in sending to you right now, who he might be interested in bringing to you to help lead and to help guide. And so I'll close with this last thought. David, really, in this story, when we get right down to it, he is a prefigure or forerunner to Jesus Christ. You say, I don't understand. How you, what do you mean? Well, in the Bible, when you look back, you can see that there are different figures in different situations that are forerunners of Jesus whom he later comes along and fulfills in perfection. Perfection. Moses was a prefigure. He was the deliverer of God's people who were in bondage and slavery. Moses delivered them out of slavery and led them into the promised land. Jesus is our deliverer. He delivers us out of the bondage of sin and death and leads us into our eternal promised land. Jonah, Jesus himself said this. He said, Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. But I'll tell you, the son of man will be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. And as Jonah was a prophet, I am here now telling you, and yet you do not hear me, but a greater than Jonah is among you. You see that, Jonah was a prefigure in ways Christ. David is a prefigure to Jesus in this situation. In others, places in the Bible, In different occasions as well, but in this particular one, here's how all the broken, all the hurting, all the lost, those who are in debt, who are hopeless, unfulfilled, without purpose, we come to Jesus this way. And as we come to Jesus and we see Him for who He is, we give our life to him. We give him our loyalty. He pays our debt. He restores us. He releases purpose and destiny into our lives that will bring us fulfillment and drive out discontentment. And he says, I will raise you up to be a warrior in an army that I'm building in your generation right now. I'll equip you for the call that I have on your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. you set your eyes on Jesus now see him worship him let's stand let's just worship the Lord our final moments before we go out of here today